All right, welcome to Equal Time Soccer. We are with Crystal Seidel, which, and probably you have a lot of different things we could say during your intro. Played at West Virginia, transferred to the U, played at a high level there, coached at the U, and now the head coach at McAllister, but probably the most prominent label for you is that you are a seat neighbor for me at Allianz Field. Yeah. That's what most people know you for. That is, yes. <laughs> Section 110. Yep. 110 Pride, and we're South 110. On the 111 and I got an aisle seat. Yeah, aisle seat. We both have aisle both seats. Both have aisles, which right. are really crucial. And it means we're both really classy. Yes. I think people who get aisle seats are we're really classy. classy. I agree. Either there's someone like me who wants to get up and get beers, or there are people like you who have kids who yeah. will have to go to the bathroom. And also like to get up and get beers. <laughs> right, exactly. It's both. So, Crystal, you now are sort of in the deep end. You're settled in, fully settled in, as the head coach at McAllister. So just talk a little bit about your ramping into a season now. Talk a little bit about the team. You've had a full year with them, and now you're ramping in. What's the team looking like this fall? I feel really good about our team this fall. Um, last year we started with limited, a little bit of a limited roster, and I think there was just so much newness with me transitioning to Division Three, me transitioning to a head coach, me organizing a staff for the first time, us trying to hit the ground running, um, us trying to fill holes that we had from a roster standpoint a little bit. Um, Particularly the goalkeeping one was tough because our one goalkeeper on the roster was injured, so we had to zero, recruit. Zero goalies is a kind of a tough situation. Yeah, it is tough. But we were lucky. We were very fortunate that two softball players and a basketball player joined us at different parts of our preseason and kind of patched it together for the year. And now we have a year where they actually trained as goalkeepers mm-hmm. and got back into it. One of the softball players played in youth. Well, two, both mm-hmm. of them did, um, but just hadn't played because they were both Mm-hmm. sophomore so it just had been a while so getting back into that a little bit it was the part of the movie montage where the team doesn't have what it needs and then you walk around to other sports teams on campus and yes. grab people who do vaguely familiar keeping skills things yes especially then, with the women's basketball player who played center midfield in california when she was younger right but is you know right five foot ten five foot eleven right and has good hands it was part of that montage yes. so you go around you find them and now you've had a whole season of recruiting, or a, a somewhat regular season of recruiting. Yeah, we joined the game a little bit late. Right. And so now you're coming in, and how's the team looking this year? Good. I think our numbers are in a really good spot. I think we made a lot of growth in mm-hmm. our non-traditional season mm-hmm. um, in April and got to see some people step up in major ways, particularly mm-hmm. in the attack, which is an area we just didn't really get to in the fall because mm-hmm. we were working on how we were going to defend first. Mm-hmm. Um so, yeah, I feel like we're in a really good place walking this season. Well, and I feel like even in our space, you know, at equal time, like I've tried to cover some of the WPSL squads, but that only really captures a certain chunk of Minnesota's college players. And I yeah. feel like it, it gets some D3 talent, but not a huge swath considering how many programs we have. So what do your, I mean, what do your players do? Um, do they play like summer seasons? Do they do stuff like that? Or yeah. is it more of a recovery after your kind of spring stuff? It's a little bit of both. Um, some of them are playing. Some of them are in environments they can't. Mm-hmm. Um, we have one of our women's like interning in New York City, and it's right. just not time. Oh. So she goes to Central Park and plays on her own. Right. So it is sometimes a time for them to do more individual training mm-hmm. on their t- technical skills. But we do have some players that have found teams, whether it's just play games once a week or twice a week in the mm-hmm. MWSL here, or... Right. Um, Maybe trying to find an environment that trains. Maybe just like random plays, yeah. practices or rec games or something just yeah. to get touches. Exactly. Cool. So it's a little bit of both. Well, and I think one one thing that I've t- – when I've seen other 
um, kind of younger coaches who have come into the space, a lot of the times they're the ones who jump in right after they played, and you're someone who jumped in right after your playing career. Did you do that because you sort of always knew you wanted to be a coach? I mean, you've been playing for such a long yeah. time, but did you always know you wanted to be a coach, or was it something where you were saying, there's a lot of options, coach that I could work for her, Yeah, let's jump in? I don't think there's a lot of options. I graduated in 08 when the economy right. was not you know, flourishing. Right, um, and I graduated in 11, so you were like early recession, I was late recession. Yeah, exactly. It was, so a, glorious, was, it was a glorious time for job hunting. Yeah. Uh, like insurance companies was about all that was taking people on. Um, so it wasn't necessarily that. I, I started coaching in high school, actually. The mm-hmm. former assistant coach at the University of Minnesota named Brandon Barkas asked me to assistant coach my littlest sister's team. When mm-hmm. she, her, you, I think they were 14. So I was, I was maybe, God, how old was I? Maybe he was 13 and I was a senior in high school. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where it started. And then when I came back from West Virginia for the summers, mm-hmm. I was always given like a U12 team tagged on so I always coached on the side I think mm-hmm. I always thought I would be coaching on the side I don't know that I ever thought it was going to be my profession right um, you thought you might like coach your kids teams or like do it as a side gig when you worked in an office right. job otherwise or something. pretty much almost every coach I ever had had mm-hmm. a different full-time job and then they would coach in the evenings right like that was my club scene growing up and that's kind of transitioning in the soccer world now mm-hmm. but back then like n- there was no full-time coaches so <laughs> right. I just always assumed I would be a part-time coach in addition to mm-hmm being in the business world is what I thought. My junior year, actually, my mom bought me, like, eight suits. I never wore them, that, like, pants suits and skirt suits. You still have them? I, I grod-sailed them a handful of years ago, but I had them for a while, way too long. But I certainly thought that was going to be the world I'd be in and then coaching on the side. And then in um, January-ish of my senior year, the head coach said that the assistant coach was going to leave at the end mm-hmm. of the semester. And, that and she, was that Mickey then? That was Mickey, yeah. So Mickey Denny, right? The yep. previous, the coach before staff who coaches now. Yep, at the University mm-hmm. of Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was like, I think you would be really good at this if you would like to do it as a profession. Just think about it. And so mm-hmm. that semester I was thinking about it. I would go play on Fridays and um, stay involved with the team a little bit, but mm-hmm. not like a ton. And then when May hit, I ended up applying and got mm-hmm. it and never really looked back. Right. Well, and that's, I think... Y- that situation, like the fact that you were a senior, still kind of going to training sessions because, you know, it's a fall sport. So you're still around. You're still like that same age. But then by the time you're coaching that fall, you're coaching with players you played with, you know, for maybe several seasons. So talk about that. Like, how did you, how did your interactions change now that you're, I mean, you're not like the big, bad, like head coach, you know, you're still an assistant coach, but talk about that, how your interactions with those players change. Cause it's, it's folks you were already, you know, teammates with. Like, before that, you were sitting with them and kind of, like, complaining about the coach when there's stuff you don't like, and now you have to be on the other side of the yeah. coach's meeting. Talk about that a little bit. That was an interesting transition and, and pretty hard, to be honest. I don't think I found my coaching voice quite as fast as I would have if I wasn't in an environment where they just saw me as a coach. And it might have been me mentally getting in my own way, like, assuming they are seeing the player version of me versus the coach version of me. So I was pretty limited in what... I offered. I think that was good to transition that way because there is so much that is involved in college coaching that's not actually on the field coaching (laughs) that I had to figure out what recruiting meant. And I was the recruiting coordinator right away. So like figuring out how to organize tournaments. And there's just so many things. We didn't have a SJ back then, a director of ops. So we were doing the travel and some of those things. So I I had a lot of energy 
an enthusiasm towards learning that side of things early. And I think right. maybe towards year two, three, I started really finding like what my voice is on the field. Right. There was, um, if you ever listen to like the Mix Zone podcast or with, or it's called Keeper Nuts. I always mix it up. Jen Cooper's podcast. She does such a fantastic job and she always interviews different journalists and players. It's one of the only women's soccer podcasts that actually interviews new people every week and doesn't just have like you and I talking every episode. Yeah. So they interviewed this coach who for a long time had been a college coach and then moved to the NWSL. And even though, for those who don't know, coaching in the NWSL is insanely brutal because it pays nothing. Yeah. So like you actually take massive pay cuts. If you were a D1 coach going from D1 to NWSL, you might cut your salary by 75%. Like yeah. you you might literally be making... I think like 45, 50 grand. Like there was actually a job posting that leaked a couple of years ago, or it was just a posting and it was for like 45, 50 grand. But this coach said she did it to transition from college to the, to the pros because such a smaller percentage of coaching in the college ranks, almost exactly how you said it, is actually coaching soccer. Yeah. It's all of this other stuff about helping them become better people or it's the recruiting side or it's the logistics side and on the professional side there's just so much more time on the field so I mean once you found that that kind of voice um you really spent really kind of grew your role in that program because by the time I was covering the team you know I think you were already associate head coach and people really thought of you as kind of the almost like the defensive coordinator, like running the defensive system. Yep. Um, and talk about kind of growing into that, like what it took to kind of get into that place where fully on your feet, like fully comfortable voicing your opinions and pushing the head coach to think differently and pushing players. Talk about that kind of development. Yeah. I think it came, the stuff transition in and keeping me on came at just the right time. Because mm-hmm. at that point, Nobody on the team anymore saw me as a player. I was right. a coach only. So that helped. And she was just great about empowering me. Mm-hmm. Like anytime that I did like have some success, like saying something that had some substance to the team, she was like, do more of that. Mm-hmm. And, and slowly but surely towards the end, it was after she would speak into the group, she's like, do you have anything? And I remember saying once, like, even if you don't have anything, you can just reiterate what I said. Right. Like, so that you're speaking after. Like as a so way that to I be can vocal. have a great voice. So that and also just show that we are on the same page. Right. Whereas these like usually I'm like, Oh no, you covered it. Like you did great. <laughs> like I don't <laughs> have anything else to contribute. But like just making sure that I right. was also putting my stamp and my opinion out there. So I, I definitely thank her for that because I think a lot of my empowerment came from just right. being asked to speak in some of those moments. Right. Well, because I think there's different there's certainly just different models of being a head coach and running a staff. I mean, sometimes the idea is you run your part of it, but when we're in full team meetings, that's me. Or it's like you do recruiting, but like on the field, it's me. Or like you only do set pieces. But, you know, certain coaches, I think, do more of the compartmentalizing, and then others do more of the pushing on the broad of like, I want you to feel like you're engaging on the program. So it's like, it's sort of just who you end up working for that you get one of those different things. For sure. Well, and then you transitioned. uh, I think you were in like an interesting spot where the U is like the big dog in the state being the only D1 program. Yeah. So then I think I even joked with you once. I was like, oh yeah, do you want to be a head coach sometime? Like when we first maybe interact together, he was like, well, that might mean moving. You know, like it's the choice of you maybe have to change levels Um, And so then you moved from, you know, only D1 program in the state to now one of so many D3. We have so many D3 programs and D2 programs. But being the head coach, 
talk about those things that you learned, like as soon as you got on the field or into, you know, you sit in this office, we're in your office right now, you sit down, what are some of those things that you experienced through your first year of, oh, this is being the head coach? Yeah, I think that was one of the reasons why I really wanted to take a jump like Mm -hmm. that. Because we, I mean, we talked about all the time the differences between assistants and head coaches in the relationship you can have with players, and there's just a lot of realms of it, like what your responsibilities mm-hmm. are. Um, and Steph and I used to talk about it a bunch too, with like what my role is on the underbelly of it versus like being able to coordinate it all. And mm-hmm. I wanted some of those differences. I wanted to experience some of those things. Right. Because I'm not in the room suggesting behind closed doors anymore. Like I'm making the call, and then I right. have to own that. And although I felt like very like the losses at the U were my losses too. Like I did right. feel like, cause I was on board, I was helping make some of those decisions. It's just, there's a different level of like responsibility and I wanted to be accountable for that. Right. To Entirely. feel that, to feel, to feel that, that pressure. Accountability. Mm-hmm. And so I, that's, that was something I was really seeking out mm-hmm. for this, um, this jump. But I think some of the big things, the staffing is like Tori's great. Cause she's mm-hmm. she, one of the reasons I chose her is that she's very confident and speaks her mind. Right. Like that, and I need that. So to- Tori Burnett, who you coached at the U yep. and is your assistant and that's a part-time gig, right? Yeah. It's halftime. Right. Which we're very fortunate because right. not everyone in the Mayak has someone that can help with the recruiting and she can. Right. Which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause we do get her for like 20 hours a week, which is really nice. Right. Cool. Um, so that's great. But she, what I love about her is that she's able to, she, she was able to say like hey this is what you're not doing <laughs> right like this is what you said you were gonna do and you didn't do or right. how can I help you execute what you said you wanted to mm-hmm. do and she's been great in some of those those pieces for me because right. there is like a, a element of big picture you have to be accountable for right as a head coach where I didn't I, I was able to take Steph's big picture and find right. executable things within it and now I have to be in charge of the vision mm-hmm and it's nice to have someone that can help me with the execution at times, which right. not every Division three coach. A lot of them are the vision and the execution both. Right. Well, and even D2, I think I've, I don't know that I've met even a majority of like the NSIC coaches in the state, but I think even a lot of them don't have necessarily, like I think some might not even have paid assistance. Yeah. I think I think I might be right in that. Yeah. And so it's... Imagine even just the idea of having anyone to push on you is such a such a big change because at the U even before they had someone doing operations there's at least multiple people right. <laughs> who can all nudge you a little bit and bounce ideas off yeah. each other and yeah. it's like a more robust room of like humans yes. at least <laughs> yeah. well and I think you you talking about Steph really empowering you reminded me too of you know she talks about she really communicates a lot with the other women in the Big Ten, because even in the Big Ten of, like, the 14 teams or 12 teams, whatever it is, it's not even half that are women, you know, even on the women's soccer side. Mm -hmm. Um, And at all levels of soccer, really, there's nowhere near, like, what would be equal representation for women on the coaching side. So I think Steph has always been really intentional about, you know, supporting. I mean, now they have an all- all women like coaching staff. Mm-hmm. Um, and at, we started that way too. Right. When I first pl- coached oh, with cool. her, we had a goalkeeper coach that was a female. Oh, as that's well. cool. Mm-hmm. Well, and then you obviously are being, you know, bringing in Tori, someone who can push you, but you're also, in a way, I think, serving that same role of empowering a really great coach. But also, even there are plenty of women who are great coaches who don't get jobs. We know that. Yeah. So just talk a little bit about like what it means for a team to actually have a, a woman in that coach's role especially for like girls to be able to 
like see someone like them on the sideline or see someone who's been through what they've been through. Um, and then anything we should be doing more just like broadly to like call out that issue or what we can do to help change yeah. that. I think what you said, the second part of that is the biggest thing. Like mm-hmm. somebody that looks like me that experiences some of the th- same things or has experienced some of the same things mentoring me through some of those challenges. I think that's a really big thing. I've had, I was fortunate. I had some great male coaches too. I know there's mm-hmm. great male coaches for females out there as well. So right. it's, but I do think there's something really special when women are empowering women mm-hmm. to do the sport. And I think the, the biggest thing we can continue to do is just tell, tell people that have some of those characteristics, kind of like what Mickey did for me. Like, mm-hmm. you could be great at this. It takes investment. It takes time. Right? It's not an easy profession by any means. Mm-hmm. And certainly in, in my coaching courses, I'm three of 60, four of 60 when I was doing my C, my B. So, I mean, you're in a minority a lot of times in a lot of situations. I mean... Tori's a director. She's a couple women out of a large group of right males. Like that's just the game, the game, especially in club soccer. Right. So just continuing to say like, hey, you can be great. Right. There is opportunity for you out there. You have to keep working at it. Right. Keep making those connections and networking, and hopefully there's more women empowering women and trying to put them in those roles. Right. Well, I mean, it gets so for me, it almost gets so frustrating because I think some of the higher dollar situations aren't the ones taking some of the risk, like you don't really see, and maybe I'll get plenty of fun pushback after saying this, like you don't see the ECNL and DA programs necessarily being the ones to try and lead on it in terms of adding representation. And I think we, you know, I hear from people all the time that get most frustrated with that. It's like, these are the high dollar environments where families are paying a lot, or at least the program is has a lot of resources in the sense that if you're part of the DA system, you know, that's very resource intensive. And so I think in, yeah, in the club scene, like you said, I mean, these are like really expensive operations. And so if those investments don't involve increasing that representation, I think that's where the frustration comes in. Because yeah. I think in Minnesota, the pushback I've seen sometimes in general is people say, well, we just want the best coach. Like we don't, you know, we don't want to choose women over men. Yeah. And to that, my response would be like, yeah, but clearly we're not actually adequately judging talent yeah. well enough because even if you only want to be myopic and just look at the U of M, we're producing, you know, every single year a handful of D1 talents who have gone through and played soccer at the highest level, let alone all the high quality NSIC schools, all the quality MIAC schools, all of the UMAC schools, like <laughs> there are women going through those programs every year. So at the very least, we have people who know the game. And so it's not like there's not raw candidates at every level of the game. Yep. So I don't know if you, I mean, it, you can talk a little bit about um, kind of different hiring processes you've been through. Yeah. And have you seen things in those processes where you can tell it's sort of like an odd aim or they're not looking at the right thing? You know what I mean? Like yeah. I've sometimes called out, I'm sure if we looked at like the number of ADs or the people doing the hiring, that probably also contributes in some way. Yeah. But have you in your like hiring situations seen things that particularly stick out that you think are kind of disadvantaging like women candidates? Um I don't know about I don't know about the hiring process necessarily. I think there's definitely one of the processes I went to where it felt like it was a little bit of a good little boys club. Like the and I, I interviewed at a few places before Mac in the Division One world thinking that I was going right. to leave the state. Um, right. And I had 
I was fortunate to get one of those offers at one point and, and didn't accept it because of how much the Twin Cities has to offer my family. And right. then it opened a new idea of potentially switching levels and staying in this area. So mm-hmm. I, did, I was fortunate to get an option like that. But there was a couple of opportunities I didn't get where I was looking at the candidate who was hired and going, how, like, how bad was I on this interview? <laughs> like, I had to have been terrible. Because, like, resume-wise, I'm there. Like, right. So, and, and I put it on myself, like, what could I have done about the interview better? But you just, in the back of your head, every time you, you wonder sometimes, like... How much of it was this? How much of it was that? Was it, was it my interview? Right. Or was it, was it my resume? Was it my interview? Or is there something else working against right. me here? Well, and I think it's, but. it's almost, like, I would be confident enough to say that that element of, like, judging you unfairly as a woman I think would be there it'd be more of a question of like how much is it you know yeah if it's only five percent then maybe that's actually as fair as women will get frankly yeah. but if, is it like bigger that's almost like what I wonder because yeah. it's yeah well and you can tell when you get in a room I mean all of us have interacted with people when it's just like oh the vibe in here is yeah <laughs> little bro Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Even for the sports bit. world. Right. Right. <laughs> well, and you, I mean, we talked a little bit about this. Like, Minnesota is so loaded with D2 and D3 programs. And I think, um, especially at D2 and D3, the bleed between talent is sort of there. You know, like, good D3 players could obviously creep up and survive in D2. And, um, you know, average to below average d2 players could go down to d3 and be stars so i feel like you're probably competing for the same broader pool of talent but how have you been able to find like how have you managed that really crowded like d2 d3 atmosphere in minnesota in terms of like finding a niche for you to recruit and like build out a squad i think it's it's a good thing that i have the minnesota relationships i had from the past because what what how we recruit here at mac we need to know a little bit more about the academic side of things because we are mm-hmm. such a high academic institution. So it's good that I have contact with coaches that can filter some of those things to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I love the kid who is in the airport reading a book <laughs> instead of doing the Instagram Snapchat with the rest of the group, right? Because like that, those are the type of people that excel here. So it's just a little bit of a different niche. Um, I, it's part of me like missed like being able to just cover more ground in the state of Minnesota, but we do because of what we are academically and we are trying to get a, a diverse population of people here at Mac that we do get out of the region a little bit and mm-hmm. help just find talent from different parts of the United States. Right. Which I think is also a really cool experience that mm-hmm. we have here. Well, and Mac I think is known for pulling internationally and nationally more than maybe some other programs anyway. So like that would actually fit your student body no matter what. You actually yeah. probably have a little more like name wreck on like the coasts and other random Pacific, places too. Yeah. The Pacific Northwest when we go there, like everyone's like, Oh McAllister College. I'm like, mm-hmm. Yes, it's so nice to like be <laughs> known. They're Whereas, like already like, fully aware of you and Carlton and exactly. they're like, Oh yes, my aunt went there yes. or something. And I think that's like when we're talking about like competing for the same you know, af- student athletes that other programs are competing, you know, mm-hmm. for. I think the majority of what we get is I'm coming into town to see McAllister and Carlton. Like, right. I don't know that I'm recruiting necessarily against other Mayak schools that often or right. Northern Sun Conference schools. There's just right. a, a unique, you know, we have a special right. education here that that's a, yeah, that's people a good are seeking point. for. Yeah, I think because we were kind of joking before we were recording, I went to Morris and uh, in out in western Minnesota. And sometimes the way I would describe it to people is that it's roughly similar to McAllister in terms of like 
campus climate, small liberal arts college, but it's also in the middle of like nowhere, I think in kind of like a cool way, but it's also a pretty clear barometer. Like anytime we had people who were considering either McAllister or Morris, like as prospective students or prospective athletes, I would always say, well, it probably won't be that hard of a decision for you. (laughs) You're either willing to live in the middle of nowhere or like you either want to live in a city or not. Yeah. You know, like it's a pretty clear, (laughs) it won't be a surprise that like McAllister's in this like urban environment in this cute like neighborhood in St. Paul in kind of like a historic neighborhood like a cool like walkable neighborhood compared to we're out in the middle of the boonies so yeah that's a good point because I think even in the Mayak the schools do have kind of like different you know like St. Thomas and McAllister I doubt have very similar prospective students in general let alone athletes so it's kind of that is kind of interesting. Yeah. Well, and when you get out on the road, um, talk a little bit about the nitty gritty of like when you look at players. I think Tori actually, I saw her once and she joked about how one thing you told her was when you'd be with the U, you're sort of trying to zero in on a couple of top players that you're sort of like double, you know, you know, they're the top player and you need to like check them and have a good analysis of them. And at the D3 level, it might be a slightly wider lens yeah. like a, a slightly different strategy talk a little bit about that for folks who have never had to do the I'm on the road this whole weekend looking at dozens yeah. and hundreds of soccer players I think that's one of the biggest differences is I could I was talking about it this morning when I coached at the U I could show up at a field and like watch the player first and like determine if they're the right fit of you know some of the qualities that we were looking for and then I could follow up with academic information and some of that stuff at a later time mm-hmm. whereas like now when I go to the field like if I'm recruiting blind with no academic information, there there is a, a lot bigger group of people that I think could help us. Mm-hmm. But it's just so much work to filter out who is the right fit from an academic standpoint mm-hmm. and from like a do your value system mm-hmm. match with what our value system here are at McAllister in our community. So mm-hmm. it's it's just an interesting <laughs> amount of just time spent doing the filtering. Process. Like the pre work, yeah, is so much different. It's pre work instead of post work kind of stuff. Like, the order of events is different. For sure. And, like, if you get to a field, say, so you hit everybody in day one or two that that wrote you, and you try to see everybody that wrote Mm -hmm. you, that you know there's a genuine, like, interest in the school, Mm -hmm. then your day three, you're going, okay, let's go to these fields because we do well in Washington. And then you're going Mm -hmm. to watch those games, and you don't know who actually has interest. It's just, it makes for a lot, a lot of work of trying to figure out. Mm Mm-hmm. Like you have to see seven players who are you have general interest in, and then yeah. it might be one that is even remotely like close to yeah. What I would could put fit. a much larger number on the front end, and then right. the one on the back end. Right. Like we 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 have to recruit hundreds to get the ten that are the right fit that want to choose right. Mac for whatever re- the school, and hopefully like we were the icing on the cake. Right in addition to the school being great well and how much just because like that sticker price is so high how much then because i feel like cost would be like somewhere in that order of events like cost would come up but is that how frequent is it where someone's like oh like i don't know if we can swing or whatever you know like how when does the financial aid type stuff come in because the other difference with D3 as opposed to D1 or D2 is obviously scholarships. Yep. But talk a little bit about, like, when does that come up where people are, or do they automatically know, oh, I've kind of heard of it. I know generally the type of, you know, if I'm going to a small private college, I generally know my price point. 
Or yep. is it like how often or at what point of the process does that sticker price come up where they're like, oh, and then it, the discussion happens on that side. Yeah, we try to do it as early as possible because mm-hmm. you just want to be cognizant of the fact that you could get in months into recruiting right, right. and then they fill out the financial calculator online and realize it's just not a viable option for mm-hmm. them and their family. So we try to be in our early conversations, I would say by conversation two, when we know like this is somebody that would fit here, mm-hmm. like, can you get on and fill out? And we're fortunate. We do have like a pretty accurate calculator online that right. gives the families a range and they can determine whether or not that range is going to be suitable. Sort of like a very pre-FAFSA like deal exactly. where they can give at least the bullet points of income, exactly. family size, etc. Yep. And we have one that's pretty intense that um, you have to put a little bit of your tax information from the year before. And so it is more closer to the FAFSA. And then we have a right. new one called My Intuition that is a little bit broader family. Oh, and it kind of predicts it. It gives you, it's not as defined of a range, but then you could do that one say, okay, maybe this is within my range. Right. And now I'm going to spend the time that it takes to get like a really more accurate assessment. Right. Yeah. I could see that being just very interesting. I mean, I think we... When we joked about me going to Morris, it was like I had never thought of it as being the only public D3 college. And so I think the, that one little difference means like little parts of the process would be different too. So it's yeah. just kind of interesting to think about all the different like all the different second conversations that people have and the little nuances must be so interesting. So that's so cool. When we have at least two slightly more random questions for you, Crystal, from I, and I will also, I think, ask you to guess who gave these questions just for fun. The earlier one about transitioning from player to coach was from SJ, so we will reveal that to you now. So now you have a sense of the type of person I was asking. One question seems completely neutral, not biased at all, is someone asking who your favorite Gopher soccer alum is. I think that's someone trying to trying to figure out is it Tori? It's not Tori. <laughs> it's Tori thinking it wasn't that she's Tori. Favorite. It wasn't Tori, although I realize now this is putting you in a tough spot. It is a little bit to pick. But I would Tori actually, has thick skin. So I would I would say that my the favorite Gopher alum as a player, mm-hmm. like loved playing with her and watching her play is Caitlin Wagner. Okay. Even still in the women's league games that I play in, I look up and I'm like, where is she? You can play that kid under pressure. She makes you look so good because I'm technically really like poor. <laughs> I was. And you're and playing. Am. And are you playing as a center back? Is that how, where you typically? Playing? Yeah, my women's league team. I play center back, and I okay. played right back at the U my okay. senior year. And it was always my first like f- first look was Wagner, second look was Kelsey Hood, another yeah. go for great. Yeah. And then if not, I'm dumping it in the corner, and Lindsey Schwartz can go make something out of nothing. Like that right. was how I played the game. So, I would say that there's an affinity towards that because she did make me. Right. She increased my possession rate and made me look better than I was. <laughs> right. She I made love. you look good as like someone sending that high arching ball over the top yeah there's certainly people that i remember like in the recruiting process writing just every time i saw him play writing like the word love like a bunch of exclamation yeah. points or like stud or like just <laughs> and um josie was definitely one of those i remember watching her josie like, Stever. Stever, like mm-hmm. three games straight in vegas and i never left the field which it's rare to sit at an entire game you usually go at halftime and try Oof. to catch another group of yeah. people you can recruit and well, i you have so many people to watch Loved watching her. When she's like kind of, she's like a stud ten. Was she playing as a number ten then, or where, yeah, or like more like a forward, or where was she? No, she was a like a ten slash eight. I mean, yeah. she she transitioned so well. It's like Molly just such, Fiedler, just such a box to box can play I, anywhere yeah, in the field. I, love, I have an affinity towards eights. Right, that's what ends up happening because I love the work rate <laughs> and the transition and the. That's why you love Kelsey. You love Molly. Yeah, love Wags. Right, Molly Fiedler was right. like another one of those that. Right. 
I remember we were in a, I wrote this to her in a note when she went, to, she just went to go play abroad. Yeah. But, um, I was so embarrassed because we went to her house for the, like you do a home visit before mm-hmm. your senior year. Mm-hmm. And Steph was like. Beca- because you've been recruiting them for like over a year Yeah, it's already. different now. Yeah. Before <laughs> you used to like sell. I remember people selling in my house, but by that point you're just going to check in because you, know, you, you can. Um, but I remember Steph going, do you know if she talks about you being the favorite player in the class, which I mean, Heslin's going to kill me, but. Yeah. Um, she straight said that to, to Molly and I was like, and then we'll cat out around of the telling people who the favorites are before they even get there. But I did. I loved watching her play in youth too. And now mm-hmm. she's an alum, new, yeah. new alum. So I'm excited to follow her career. She, that is, I love that that happened. And I love that you mentioned that Heslin is going to be upset because it was Heslin who asked this question. I so now we're going to, now I need to check with Emily <laughs> if Molly ever used to throw that yeah. into their, like needle April about it and needle Castro about it. I wonder it if, they, if she needle ever told about anyone. It. I bet she didn't. They're also. just the, some of the qualities that she had. Oh, she's, yeah. Well, and we heard, I mean, Heslin said she chatted with her recently and she like killed her fitness test over there. They're training in like a mountain town. That's they're just amazing. in this, uh, they're, she's playing in Serbia. Yeah. Just, there'll be more of this in our third segment of Going Pro video series. You can catch it all yeah. later this summer. I also love the players that had things that I didn't. And, right. And what I love about Emily was her like hardness and her ability in right. the air. But so that's me. That's just like, you. So. Just like grit, like gritty and tough as hell. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know. So you're like, you're like, well, you're I just love you, but like we're to get like we're right. the same. There's nothing interesting about seeing myself again. You've seen yourself <laughs> play for years. I don't know if that's what I would say. But <laughs> she was certainly a better technical player than I right. than I ever was. But it, right. Yeah, I that's did. a tough question. That was now I'm going to be in trouble. That's I also right. have to say my sister. I did. She's going to go for an alum as well. My little sister. I went back and played with her for a year and then coached her for oh, two. Yeah. And so I mean, you got to put her on the list. Right. Of grades. Oh, she. Oh, I love yeah. Her. Well, we should talk a little bit about your family, who I jokingly before this, but not so jokingly referred to as the soccer Kennedys of Minnesota. And you referred to a couple of your, your brothers as being sort of like the soccer famous brothers. But you run through your siblings for us of their okay. soccer experiences. Like when you, so which ones did you coach or play with like through your childhood and through your, this experience? Well, all of them now. Right. So my family's Brian, Brad, Crystal, Kylie, Brent, Cassie. And that's our order. Mm-hmm. So Brian's the oldest. He played at Jacksonville and transferred to Creighton and then mm-hmm. played for Minnesota Uniteds when they were NASL, mm-hmm. um, starting at the Thunder. Yeah. was part of that era. Um, so that was the first one, the oldest, that like, kind of paved the way. But all of us actually got to play together like two years ago in the winter. It happened to be that no one was pregnant, so that helped. <laughs> Um, and we all joined the same like little tournament in Burnsville Blast, mm-hmm. and that was the first time we all got to play together, which was really cool. And but, little did these opposing teams know that they were gonna have to face like yeah, the whole and, squad of Calmans. Yeah, and a couple were you know pro players, so I don't know if it was the accurate league, but we just wanted to play together and say we did. <laughs> yeah, it was great because my husband got to play on it too, and so it was a good family affair. But um, growing up, I played with Kylie, my mm-hmm. younger sister's two years younger than me, so I was able to play high school with her, and then I had to play one year of college with her and coach. Okay her and then Cassie co- yeah. happened to be a year too young so I graduated right. and then she was in ninth grade and could make the team for the first time right 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 so I, we missed each other but then um right before I got the University of Minnesota job we were all three going to play in the same back then it was the W League mm-hmm. for Minnesota Lightning and so we got to play 
um, Danny Storlene, fortunately, started us all. And my, my last game, we all three started. So it was me. I was playing center back. My sister, Kylie, was playing right back. And then my littlest sister, who was a runner type, was playing outside mid in his three five two. And so we were all on the same oh, side great. of the field, which was really a cool experience. That's so cool. But then once I took the job, I wasn't allowed to play in the league because there's rules against playing with right. the that was, players. So. That was your way to recruit. They were worried. NCAA is worried about you impressing young players with your talents on the field uh-huh. and, yeah, then, that's... and then scooping them into the gopher program hmm, exactly exactly <laughs> they made that rule just for me yeah that's the yeah it's the Kalman Seidel policy we have our second question after I took you on your family tangent is what nickname did JB former equipment manager give you and why um he called me killer mm. which actually came he used to be able to come on like one trip a year in 2008 um, we went out and played Michigan played Michigan and I can't remember how it started but me and one of the women on the Michigan team were not getting along particularly well in the game and I think I can't remember if it was yeah I'm pretty sure she took out my sister I think that was the last straw is like she slid tackled um, in a way I didn't approve of my little sister and I see red in those moments as a player I'm much more composed as a coach um, than I was as a player and we were in a 50-50 ball and I think I went through her and ended up kind of tossing her over my back or something and I said something like touch my little sister again and your life is over just some something really yes. abrupt yes. in the moment and JB loved it he loved it he like talked about it we got back. He nicknamed me Killer when I had the job. He's like, you remember Michigan? And so he just reminded me of those. You got to dine out on that. Like protecting my little sister vibe yeah. just for years. Any teammate. Little sister helped too. But yeah. I was that person that I think it was instilled in me growing up. And my dad had one of those. You can't say it as a coach, but my dad's rule was if somebody does something wrong to your teammate like you wait for the moment and it's a 50 50 ball in the attack right for the field and you make it right right like you don't go like studs up in the back no. out of nowhere you wait for the soccer moment yeah to knock them on their butt to go 50 50 in a right. legal manner shoulder to shoulder hip yeah. to hip and then maybe just tell them that they were wrong in what they were doing so they know not to do it again right be an enforcer you don't literally swing at someone you do no, the soccer. Never. Ver- you do never. the soccer version of that. You do the soccer version of that. Right. That is fantastic. I love that. Well, who asked that question? Do I get to know? After? Oh yeah, you have to guess. Oh. Molly. No. Steph. Yeah, it was Steph. <laughs> of course, was Steph wanted that t- out there. Tori, we asked her for some questions. I think she had too many in her head, and she never got back to me. So, hmm. Tori, you had your chance to get your boss on the record. I think she joke. She was joking about asking. Um, what is your response when your center back walks up the field when you want them to run? Because that was a big thing with her. We were trying to hold a high line. And right. I don't know how many times I would call her out for her walking. What is, what is this response? Anger. Just yelling? <laughs> no. Directing. <laughs> Directing. A- allowing her to know that that was... I think... I, I don't know if you... So did you ever coach Molly? Or were you... Molly Rouse, or would she have been? Yeah, how did she that was that out? same. She was two years younger than me, so she was on my sister's class. So okay, we so played together in '08, and then I and was you, on staff in '09 and 2010. And you coached her, so I don't know if you would agree with this. I've seen her on the sideline sometimes when she's instructing players. When I've got to watch some of like like the alumni game, yeah, where Steph was out in Kenya, 
was she the time when Molly and the other staff had to coach the alumni game? Yeah. And I got to watch, but I was not allowed to tweet. And I saw Molly, when Molly was giving a lot of instructions. I actually got a some of that intensity. I like that vibe. I got a Crystal Seidel vibe yeah. from Molly. I don't I, know if you feel that. I do. I think we're um, we're very direct people. We mm-hmm. like to direct others, and then we have a very similar core value. Mm-hmm. We came from the same era of Minnesota soccer that mm-hmm. really pride ourselves in our competitiveness and mm-hmm. drive and some of those things. Mm-hmm. And so I a little do bit think of grit, a lot of grit. I mean, that, <laughs> that that woman made her living off her grit. Mm-hmm. She was an all star in that way. I mean, mm-hmm. if you look at her story, it's an unbelievable story. And she mm-hmm. walked on the program and ended up being a four-year starter and mm-hmm. ended all Big Ten player and yeah. came from Cambridge, Asante. Right, I know beautiful I'm Cambridge. Wrong. I say it wrong, but it's doing Corver right. in her backyard and being coached by her older sister. I mean, her story is unbelievable. Right. So, yeah, there's for sure, like, I'm, I'm, I'm proud when you say that we have yeah. a little similarity together. If you've ever met... Molly's sister came to one of our watch parties at Blackheart. I'm sure we'll do yeah. more of these this year. Summer. And w- yeah, and when I when I met her, I was like, oh, she like has a presence. Yeah. You walk up, she probably weighs half as much as me. And yep. she like walks up and I was like, oh. That was Molly. My Molly was a 100-pound right. warrior. Right. Her early years of college. It was watching, getting to see. So at if you go to Gopher Games, which obviously you need to, if you go and watch the team, Sitting up high can be great to watch the movement, but sit down low at least a little bit, listeners, so you can see the coaching vibe that the staff has because the level of composure between the Gopher staff and the opposing team where it's just like screaming dudes from New Jersey is so fun to see. But the moments when the instruction does happen, then maybe you'll get a flavor of the Molly Rouse yeah. uh, energy. Intense and intentional. Yes. For sure. It's Well, and it's it's you'll see the difference between a bro from Purdue screaming for the entire game, like literally just telling their player when to pass and stand still and jog an inch forward, and someone who's choosing the moments to make the point of instruction, that difference is very obvious, and it also, I think, would make you feel proud of the program. It's very fun to see in person because yeah. it can get so absurd. I don't okay. know. I don't know what the male. I don't know why the male coaches in the Big Ten can be so kooky sometimes and so insane, but it does happen. And seeing it live is fun. Crystal, this is great. You play right here at beautiful McAllister, just south of Grand and Snelling. Yep. So folks should come watch you. How else should they follow the team this year? Is there like social media? Should they check you out? Yeah. Where Where do you have a presence that you want people to find you? We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're mm-hmm. on Instagram. Tori does an amazing job running all those things. You just my, did a full rebrand. My social media is average to below average myself, but she's great. Um, we also live stream all of our games because we do have so many of our yeah. women are from other places and we want their families to be able to watch them play college soccer. So we That's live so stream cool. every home game, which is neat. So you could find us on our website yep. and watch and kind of see what we're about. That's awesome. Crystal, thanks so much for your time and have a good day. Thank you.